0: Take your Bibles and turn to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. Let me read verses uh, tw- 1 through 14. Hear now God's word. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. For the moment all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Therefore lift your drooping hands and, and straighten your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Strive for peace with everyone, and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Amen. Thus ends the reading of God's Word. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the Word of our God will stand forever. You may be seated. Let me pray before we look at God's Word this morning. Lord, the psalmist tells us that, that you know our frame. Even when we were in our mother's womb, you knew us. And, and now that we're born, you you know every thought from afar. You know everything we're going to say, everything we're going to think. You know us better, God, than we know ourselves. And so we pray this morning that, Lord, you might speak to us your word in a way that that we can hear, in a way, Lord that we would receive by faith and understand. May you take the scales from our eyes that we might behold the glory, your glory, God, which is so great. We thank you and pray this in your name. Amen. So the question I want to ask this morning is what do you need to do to slow down Or even to go backwards in the Christian life. Now you say, Pastor Rick, that's not a question I'm used to pastors asking. (laughs) You know, usually they're asking, how can we progress forward? How can we persevere? How can we grow in our faith? But I want us to consider this morning, what do we need to do to become stagnant in our faith? What do we need to even maybe regress, in a sense, in our faith? And the author of Hebrews tells us we need to do absolutely nothing. That drifting in your faith is the easiest thing in the world to do. It actually just automatically happens. The Christian life is is like swimming against the tide that requires effort. And sort of reminds me of our kids when we were living in Florida. They loved to go to the beach. And they would uh, go out and wade out into the ocean... And they would stand there, and the waves would come in. Now, you've got to remember, they were much smaller back then. But the waves would come in and crash against them. And if they were standing still, most it pretty much just either knocked them backwards or just took them completely under. You know, they just couldn't withstand it. If they were going to stand against those waves, they had to plant their feet and sort of exert their effort forward. And they may still be knocked back a little bit, but they were still standing and it's a lot like that with the Christian life, that the Christian life is a life that is against the tide all the way. Now, you're probably not going to hear most preachers say that when they're sharing the gospel with you, right? And it's not that preachers are trying to be deceptive in any way, but oftentimes we don't share sometimes of how difficult the Christian life can be. And, and Hebrews is all about persevering in our sanctification, Persevering in our holiness, persevering in our growth in the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, Christians then, as well as now, were confronted by many pressures. Uh, Actually, if you're not familiar with the book of Hebrews, I would encourage you to read Hebrews chapter 10, verses 32 through 34. And it sort of talks about the sufferings that these Christians went through. Uh, They were, they comforted those who were in prison. They had their property taken away from them. They had gone through some pretty extreme things. Things that none of us here have ever experienced before. And we might think that anyone who has withstood trials like that would be in no danger of failing to persevere. But brothers and sisters, I'm here to tell you this morning that the battle to be holy is fierce. The conflict is long and the opposition is strong. And the obstacles are many. And you may say, wow, Pastor Rick, that doesn't sound very encouraging. But I do want to encourage you. Because there may be those of you who are here this morning who are weary. There may be those of you here this morning that are just tired in your Christian walk. And you feel like giving up. And I want to encourage you this morning to keep going. And, you know, even those who have won great spiritual victories in the past can become weary. You know, spiritual laziness or indifference can set in at any time, and any Christian could drift. You know, I can't tell you how many Christians, and I'm sure you know some too, Christians that you know that in years past, they were on fire for the Lord. They were in the Word of God, and they were... Proclaiming Christ to people, and they were, and and they were seeing people come to faith in Jesus Christ through their testimony, and yet today, they're just a hollow shell of themselves, spiritually speaking. That's all seemed to go away. And I know many of us have heard of spiritual leaders, maybe even those that we looked up to, maybe even those that we. Highly respected, who uh, have fallen from the faith, who have denounced the Christian faith. You see, we need to constantly be encouraged to keep going. Now, I had the privilege of preaching through the book of Hebrews, and probably half of you heard that sermon series, and half of you did not. And so let me just say this that back at the beginning of Hebrews, the writer sort of likens the Christian life. To the exodus that took place out of Egypt. That in the same way that God redeemed his people in Egypt. And then he sent them into the wilderness. The Christian life is a lot like that. The Christian pilgrimage is like that. That we have been redeemed. And now we're walking this pilgrimage on this earth. And, and in that desert place. It can be a place of, it, that's full of tests. It can be a, a place that's full of temptations. Even enough to tempt one to grumble and to complain like we see the Israelites doing. And uh, even wanting to return to the old ways. I mean, you you read how many times did the Israelites say, Oh, but we had it so much better in Egypt. We had the leeks and the cucumbers and all these things. Let us just return. And I think one of the reasons why that resounds with us as, as Christians sometimes is Sometimes we struggle with that too as well. Sometimes the Christian life our pilgrimage here on this earth can seem a lot harder than even the bondage and sin that we were in before we became faith in Jesus Christ. Especially if you grew up in a covenant home because I think as those that have grown up in a covenant home we didn't feel that bondage to sin quite as much because we had God's grace given to us through our parents and the instruction of God's word. So the author of Hebrews encourages his readers and us, do not throw away your confidence in Christ, which is a great reward, but endure. But endure. So when you have done the will of God, you may receive what he has promised. The author says, we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith, and preserve their souls. Hebrews ten thirty five, and so that's the theme of Hebrews. That's the theme of this sermon. The true believers do not shrink back; they believe and they persevere. They press on into the future and r- arrive at the fullness of their salvation. And that's why we see the writer of the Hebrews saying in Hebrews twelve verse one at the very end. He says, "Let us run with endurance the race." that's set before us. Now, that is a very good description because the Christian life is definitely a race of endurance. It's not a sprint, right? And the mindset of a marathon runner is very different than the mindset of a sprinter. Not that I'm either one, but (laughs) as things I have read, it's very, very different. And a person who is a marathon runner expects the sweating and the aching and the blisters and maybe even the shin splints, I don't know, but the, all those difficulties, they expect that. That's that's part of the race. And so when those things happen, most runners don't complain and grumble. They understand that is the nature of the race. And as Christians, we need to understand the same thing. So what do we need to know to keep going on in the Christian life? What is it that the writer to the Hebrews told these early Christians and tells us today that we need to know to challenge us to persevere in our faith as as Christ is so faithful to us. Well, the the first thing he does is he makes us aware of the encumbrances, okay? Kids, that word encumbrances just means obstacles, the the things that hinder us in our race. And we see here listed in verse 1-2, Uh, It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so, so, so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Now, it's not really clear whether the author is speaking of one thing in two different ways. You know, so he uses the term sin and weight. And he's really talking about the same thing. Or if he's referring to two different obstacles or hindrances with the weights being those things which hinder us, but they're not necessarily sinful. And then sin, of course, those things that are clearly sinful. Well, I I would suggest to you, because of of how he describes the weight and the sin, that he's talking about two different things. Because he's talking about the weight that you cast off or you lay aside. And he's talking about the sin which clings so closely, uh, implying that indwelling sin that we still wrestle with. And so I'm going to approach it from that perspective that he's talking about two separate things. First of all, the weight. Uh, The things that hold us back. The things that slow us down in in our pursuit of holiness. You might refer to these as excess baggage, okay? And rarely, I was trying to think of a a case where excess baggage was a good thing. I really (laughs) couldn't think of any, okay? Usually excess baggage is never a good thing. But, But its effects may not be apparent at first until we begin to run and then we begin to feel that that hindrance. And it's like that for the Christian race. The, the writer of Hebrews says, let us get rid of everything that weighs us down, keeps us back or hinders us from our swift obedience to Christ. Take, for example, let's say a man who has a very nice expensive suit. Okay, that would make him look rather... Stunning, right? If he wore this wonderful suit, it'd be a great thing to wear to church on a Sunday, or maybe a woman who had a, a well-tailored coat, and uh, which just made her look so good, or or maybe they have a strong suitcase that they use when they travel uh, on airplanes and it just helps keep everything safe, even from airplane air, airline employees who toss them around everywhere. You know, they, those things are, are good and they're necessary things. But you don't run an Olympic race in a suit. You don't run a marathon in a well-fitted coat, ladies. And I don't care what race you run, you don't carry a suitcase with you when you're running that race, right? You get rid of all those things. Serious athletes appear at the starting line and you can tell they are highly disciplined individuals, right? I mean, what you may not know is, is that they, they, they went through lots of training, they watched their diet, they got proper rest, they did everything that was necessary. There is probably also this whole team of scientists that was involved behind the scenes to perfect all their running gear even. They have just the right things. Everything is just well-tailored to one purpose, and that is to run and to win. The point is that many things that are appropriate and legitimate can become hindrances if you're planning to run a race, and so we have to put those aside. And, And Jesus addresses this topic as well when he talks about the parables of the the sower, the parables of the soils in Mark chapter 4 verse 19 he warned um, that desires for other things can destroy the influence of the seed of the word of God in our lives have you ever thought about that? that the desire for other things can destroy the influence of the seed of the word of God in our lives Jesus says that the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke out the word of God that is sown in a person's heart. And we oftentimes think of the cares of the world as just a, a normal part of living. And I mean, there is a sense in which that's true. Our jobs, right? Uh, the upkeep of our property, our health, our family, all these things are are the things that that we do. This is where we spend most of our time. It's just a a regular part of life. I mean, if you look at your to-do list and you see what percentage of that to-do list is filled up with the cares of this life, I would say probably most of your to-do list is, right? If it's anything like mine. And and they could be good things, but they could also have a detrimental effect on your spiritual well-being. You see, Paul, in his dialogue with the Corinthians, as you know, he wrote several letters back and forth, and they asked him questions, and he responded. And, and some of the Corinthians had, um, seemed to have been insisting on their freedom to develop their own life patterns and habits. And they would say things like this, like, there's nothing wrong with a Christian doing, and then fill in the blank. Or they would write to Paul and they'd say, there's nothing against a Christian spending his or her time doing thus and such because we have freedom in Christ. And in response, Paul calls the church to think and act with greater maturity than that. He, he argues that the key issue is not merely whether something is legitimate or allowable, as we might want to say, but is it spiritually profitable? Does it help you? In your, in your growth in holiness. And so the question that we need to not ask is when we think about you know, what our life should be uh, full of is, is it all right for me to do this as a Christian? That's a very low bar, brothers and sisters. And, and the writer to Hebrews as well as others, Jesus, Paul, are challenging us to, to think differently. And maybe instead to ask questions like this. How will this thing that I'm considering build me up spiritually? And how will it build me up in holiness? How will this thing strengthen the fellowship of God's people? How will this advance my goal of running towards Jesus Christ and his glory? Or maybe another way to ask it sort of on the other side is, how will laying this aside better enable me to serve Jesus Christ? You see, those are the kinds of questions to ask and to to prayerfully consider and ask the Holy Spirit to help you to answer and to look into your heart. Of course, the weight that the writer refers to here, because it's not sinful, will vary from person to person. But whatever specific form the weight may take, it will have a tendency to divert us from or drain us of energy for serving the Lord Jesus Christ. We'll feel that weight that we are carrying. And the litmus test of all this is, whether the things that we do draw us beyond themselves to more love for Christ or whether they, like weights, hold us back in our love for Him. Now, you may be here this morning and you may be one of those people. You are living under the weight of so much pressure right now. You don't even know what to do. As a matter of fact, My words are not words of encouragement for you. It just makes you feel that weight even more. And you say, Pastor Rick, I have so many responsibilities. And and I understand. It's it's not easy. I'm not saying that the, the weights and the struggles I go through are exactly the same ones you go through. But I've been there and I understand that. As a matter of fact, I remember one time in my life where I was there and I was being buried under all the things of life and God sent me a brother in Christ who was much wiser and much more mature than me. And he, he said to me, he said, when you have too much on you to do, uh, Rick, he said, make Jesus your first priority. Make Jesus your first priority and count everything, suck it to him. Everything is second to him. And I thought, okay. But then as I thought about it, I thought, you know, how often do I rush through my time with the Lord, my Bible reading and my prayer, and I do them so I can check them off the list, but I've really just rushed through them because I had so much to do on my to-do list. And so what was really driving me was the cares of this world, not my relationship with Jesus Christ. But over the years, and and I'm still not there yet, I still struggle with this. But as I have done this, and as I have just sort of slowed down and spent time with Jesus and listened to Him as He's spoken to me through His Word and as I have talked with Him through prayer, I have come to realize that when I do this, that I'm no longer carrying that burden alone. That what Jesus does is He begins to, to, to change and He keeps my priorities what they need to be. Um, I find that oftentimes those things that I thought was so important and that just absolutely had to be done maybe didn't need to be done or maybe somebody else did it. And so it just sort of helped me to think more clearly about the things that I was wrestling with. Um, But then also Jesus sort of helped me carry my burdens. I began to see that as I took things to the Lord in prayer, rather than just trying to do them all myself, I began to see Him answer those things. And He resolved those things. They were no longer my burden because He graciously uh, fought those battles and did those things for me. And so I could rest in Him. Now, if you say, Wow, Pastor Rick, that sounds exciting. I, I don't know that I believe you. Well, I would encourage you to try it. I would. I'd I throw it out to you and I would very much encourage you to try it. But not just as a step to do. But it's a sense of turning to your Christ and resting in him, spending time with him and just turning, casting your burdens upon him. And I will tell you this, that if you take me up on this challenge, that it will not happen right away and you will be tested that you will do it for a while and you'll feel really good about yourself and then you will feel the pressure of something super huge. And you will be very tempted to blow through your time with Jesus so that you could get done those things. I would encourage you to resist that temptation and just take it to Jesus. And He will be faithful. Otherwise, you'll find yourself just taking your loads back upon yourself. And parents, I would encourage you to teach your children about this as well. I mean, I think it's really easy for us as parents to talk to our kids about their sins But sometimes we don't help them to understand how to deal with their weights. And especially if you have young people, um, 10, 11, 12 years old, it's moving towards that youth age, moving more towards adult thinking and stuff. Help them to wrestle with the weights that they struggle with. Second obstacle that we see is sin. Now, is this simply a general statement, meaning that we need to quit sinning and put aside in every form or shape the sin that we have in our life? Or, and I think this is probably more appropriately so, does it refer to the, to the specific ways in which sin sort of folds itself around and manifests itself in our individual lives? Uh, sin has a way of knitting itself into the very fabric of our being, into our character, and even into our personalities, into our propensities and our weaknesses. And yes, sin even wraps itself in our strengths. I might even say it especially wraps itself in our strengths. Because it's in those areas that we feel most confident in ourselves and we oftentimes rely upon our own abilities rather than relying upon Christ. And so there's a sense in one way in which our sins are sort of distinctively ours. I mean, that's not totally true because we do share the same sins, whether it be anger, selfishness, greed, you know, whatever. But the way it manifests itself in our lives may be very distinctive to us. You see, indwelling corruption has the potential to express itself in any and every form of sin. And, and just like Augustine argued, he said sin is not an object uh, quantifiable, something which attaches itself to us. Rather, it is the distortion of our person. It is the distortion of our person that Christ has made us in His image. And and this sin seeks to distort that. And so sin is not just like that out there that's not it, but in one sense, it's sort of I, it's sort of me. It takes a peculiar shape in each of us and comes to expression in our individual character which is already fallen and twisted against the Lord. Now, we won't have to run the race very long before we realize this and discover the ways that sin seeks to trip us up and cause us to fall down. Um, and, and it's also, I think, sometimes even a shock to us when we see our sin. You know, I mean, how many times have you been reading the Word of God and God reveals to you the sin that is in your heart? And, and you're just are like, oh, Lord, is that me? Is that what I'm like? You know, we, we, we sometimes are shocked by that. And we sometimes want to think of our sin as not so bad. And that, that was Paul's concern, though, in Romans 7, verses 14 through 25, that there is that sin that we wrestle with, that it's a sin that, that clings to us. Um, but I also, I want to not paint that picture too bleak, because the reality is we are new creatures in Christ and Christ has redeemed us. Uh, and so as Christians, we are righteous in Christ. And yet at the same time, sinners in and of ourselves are still wrestle with the remnant of sin. And it's true that we're no longer what we once were, but neither are we what we one day will yet be. And so there's still that battle that goes on uh, inside of us. And so we need to be careful not to make the mistake of thinking that we can just control our sin any way we want. Um, Because oftentimes as soon as we do and we sort of begin to play with sin and we turn our back on sin, then it begins to school us. And it begins to show us that while as Christians, sin has lost dominion over the Christian, it still retains its power in us. And we must not forget that. And so the price of victory is just constant attentiveness to the sin that seeks to master us. Hebrews tells us to deal with our indwelling sin and by bringing to bear the full force of the Word of God on it. And see, what we do, as we do spend time in God's Word, and it is that mirror that that reflects and shows us who we are inside of us, it, it not only shows us our sin... But the Word of God also stirs up our affections for our Savior who has freed us from that sin, who is conquering that sin and causing it to be put to death. And as we grow in our love for the Lord Jesus Christ, then that love for Christ begins to displace our love for sin. We begin to see the love for sin grow weaker and weaker and weaker as we grow in that love for Christ. And so those are the encumbrances that we need to be aware of as runners in the Christian race. But there's also encouragements as well. And as we look at these um, encumbrances, uh, we need to be careful that we be aware of them, but we not focus on them. We um, We must see that that God actually provides great encouragement. And as a matter of fact, if, if you're an astute reader, you would notice that actually the writer of Hebrews starts out with the encouragement first. He doesn't talk about the encumbrances. He doesn't talk about the weight and the sin until later. He actually starts out with the encouragements. So his logic is sort of like this. Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, therefore let us lay aside the weight and the sin that clings so that we might run. That's what he's saying. And so, yes, we need to know about the weights and the sin in our lives, but we must address them in light of the power of God's grace, brothers and sisters, and understand that the Holy Spirit is mightily and powerfully at work in us. Sin should not loom so large in our thinking or our feeling that it covers up the sight of Christ and, and what it means to be part of his people. So let's look at this very quickly. First of all, we are surrounded by a cloud of witnesses in verse 1. Now, we don't have to wonder who these cloud of witnesses are. Because you have the word therefore, right? What's the word therefore? Yesterday was grammar day. Did you guys know that? Yesterday (laughs) was grammar day. So what's the therefore therefore? The therefore is therefore to tell us to look backwards. And we look back to Hebrews chapter 11 and we see this great cloud of witnesses that are listed all these believers all these great saints in the old testament and it's saying here that, that they are surrounding us now so who they are is not so difficult but in one sense how, how are they um, how are they this great cloud of witnesses well some think of them as spectators in a stadium watching the race and cheering the runners on you can do it go go But that's not really what the passage is talking about. When you look at the context of of Hebrews 11, it suggests that these heroes of the faith were witnesses to God's promises. That they persevered in their faith, even though they didn't receive yet what was promised because Christ was yet to come in the future, they pressed on to take hold of that goal. And, And the saints of the Old Testament testified to us of who God is. Through his word. As we read the accounts of these believers. We see who God is. And benefit. They, they tell us of his sovereignty. And of his goodness. They remind us of the fact that he is all wise. And all knowing. Fully trustworthy. He is loving. Because brothers and sisters. We need to re- be reminded. Of God's faithful promises. When we are in the middle of the race. We need to keep going. You see, real faith always uh, perseveres into the future. Okay, Real faith always perseveres into the future. It does not get bogged down with the current circumstances. See, that's the difference in faith. And that's what the Bible means when it says live by faith, not by sight. By sight, we would get all bogged down in the things that we're going through. But by faith, we keep our eyes upon what Christ is doing. And and it's it's us leaning into those waves in the ocean that we might stand firm. And so we have this great cloud of witnesses that that is around us. But what's interesting is is that that's not really where our focus is to be, is on these witnesses. We are surrounded by them, but not focused on them. Verse 2 tells us that our eyes are to be fixed on Jesus. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Now, founder means an architect or a designer or builder. But the key idea is of someone who's a champion that accomplishes a great victory and others benefit because of that. Now, the best example I could think of was David and Goliath. Okay, David goes out and he just, takes down Goliath, all right? Uh, That's the rated G version of it, right? He just takes down (laughs) Goliath, okay? But because he did, all of Israel won the victory. And that is what Christ has done for his people. He came in our place and fought sin and death and the devil, and he emerged triumphantly, leading us into victory. So that Paul could say, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Now you don't probably get up every morning and think, "I am a more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus." But you are because of what he has done. You see Jesus is the object of the faith of the saints of the Old Testament, and they looked to his coming. But he is also the one who perfectly exercised and exemplified persevering faith as well as he went through trials and he went through difficulties. He is both the pioneer And He is the perfecter of our faith. He encourages us. But brothers and sisters, I want you to hear this this morning. Especially if you are here and you are tired and you are weary. He is also the one who sustains us. And He will sustain you. He persevered to the end. He he faced the cross. He is well able to help us, therefore, persevere to the end. But we must fix our eyes upon Him, brothers and sisters. He must be our only priority. He must be our first priority, our only priority. And then out of that priority, all, other, all the rest of life will fall into place. Otherwise, we will grow weary and lose heart. And our endurance will fail. Because, brothers and sisters, our ability to endure depends on his endurance. It's only as we look to Jesus and he gives us strength. For he endured all that we have to endure and more. He despised the shame of the cross in light of his future glory. He experienced unforgiving opposition, we read in our text, of sinful man. He he stayed the course longer. He faced more difficult conditions. And he tasted more fierce oppositions than we ever will. So my question for us this morning is this. Do you look to Jesus to not only save you? but to perfect you. To carry you all the way to the end. Are, do you have the same confidence that the Apostle Paul said, had when he said, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Philippians 1.6 Are you ready for such a race? You see, Jesus asked his followers to count the cost and here, the writer to the Hebrews is doing the same to us. And I just want to close by asking you three questions just with a few comments, but just to get us to think as we wrap this up today. The first thing is uh, to ask, am I willing to resist sin to the point of shedding my own blood? We see that in verse 4. Am I willing to resist sin to the point of shedding my blood? You see, some of the, the first things Test, the the first readers of Hebrews seems to be on the brink of throwing in the towel. Uh, you see, opposition has a way of wearing us down and exhausting our resistance, right? And they had gone through so much, and they had felt so much opposition. And the writer is saying, Look, you need to develop a simple resolution. Be willing to resist sin to the point where you would shed your blood rather than sin. Jesus did that, and you belong to him. And you go, wow, is, is being a Christian that serious? And I would say yes. Look back, if you would, to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 35. Hebrews eleven thirty-five. 35. Let me just read to you what some of our brothers and sisters in Christ encountered in their lives. Verse 35. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release, so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging. Now, don't just hear the words. Picture what's really going on here, what these Christians went through. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats destitute afflicted mistreated of whom the world was not worthy wandering about in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth you see christianity was that serious to this great cloud of witnesses christianity was this serious to jesus is it this serious to us That's exactly the issue. Am I willing to resist sin to the point of shedding my blood? Am I resisting sin or am I trifling with it? The second thing we see comes from verses 6 through 11, where he says, Am I remembering the encouragements that Scripture gives me? Am I remembering the encouragements that Scripture gives me? On the one hand, there's a radical call to be willing to resist sin, even to the point of shedding blood, which can sort of stretch us emotionally, I'm sure. But on the other hand, there's an equally stretchling word of encouragement in verses 5 and 6. He says, My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him, for the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. You see, everything that takes place in the life of a Christian is an element of heavenly parenting. You want to see Jesus' heavily parenting style, this is it, right? Every moment of pain in our lives has a purpose. Every hurt is employed by God to draw me closer to Christ and to make me more like Him. Every hardship is therefore an evidence of the spiritual legitimacy that I am a son of the living God. If I were not a son, He would not discipline me. He would be indifferent. The third thing that we see, the question we ask is, am I convinced that without holiness I will never see the Lord? Without holiness I will never see the Lord. Verse 14. We need to remind ourselves often that what God is doing is a long-term project in our lives that His, He's training us so that we might share in His holiness. You ever think about that? You know, we sort of throw around that word holiness. But to think that we could we could be holy as, as God is holy. I mean, that is his plan. That is actually what he's carrying out in your life and my life. And we must learn to view the short term in light of the long term project that God is doing in us. So he may take us down some paths. He may take us through some circumstances that short term are very painful and very difficult but long-term, He is working holiness out in us. You see, our God is a single-minded God. He is absolutely determined to make His children holy. It will happen. And what makes us think that we can be indifferent or worse, refuse and resist His good purpose? And if His all-wise and all-loving God has as His heart to set on To make us holy. Then why would I want anything different than that? Why would you want anything different than that? Do you know what I wish as a pastor? I wish that we were a a congregation like this. A congregation running the race. uh, Faithfully running the race. Where it was so evident that people were afraid to come in and become members of Kirk of the Plains. (laughs) Okay, on one hand, I think they would be thinking, they would say to themselves, man, I want to be part of that church. Look at those people's lives. They are so different. I have never, ever seen anything like that. And yet on the other hand, they would say to themselves, if I go to that church, There's a lot in me that needs to die. And of course, no one will ever think that looking into our church from the outside unless we ourselves first think that by looking out from the inside of us, right? So let's consider God's word for us today and keep on keeping on to be holy as he is holy in the grace that he gives us each and every day. Please bow with me, if you would. Thank you, God, that you have called us to this race. We know we don't deserve it. You could have just as easily let us live our lives and, and run after um, everything that, we, that our hearts desire to our eternal doom, never knowing the loving kindness of Jesus and never having this deep hope and confidence and knowing that one day that we will see your face and that we will see you face to face. Father, you know where each one of us are exactly. And we ask that you would take your word and you would drive it deep into our hearts. Maybe maybe there's decisions that we have to make about our time and what we're giving our hearts and our minds to. Maybe there needs to be a refocus um, on some new habit that needs to be formed. Lord, maybe there are some weights that need to be set aside. Maybe a sin that needs to be battled with. Father, we pray before you that you would help us to make those decisions. And that by your grace, we would take steps so that we could see Jesus by faith, looking to him. Father, I I, I also pray for those who don't know Jesus. I pray that the beauty of this Savior who loved us this way would compel them to seek Him and in seeking Him that they would find Him for that's what you have promised. We thank you and we pray this in your name. Amen.